All right, Matt and Seton here, and we're doing a little add-on to a podcast, which we did. We're going to bring to you in a second, because we want to get clear about some of the emails we've been getting and about what's going to happen in this episode. In fact, from as above, as below, or something like that, from uh, the email she sent, she says, stop making excuses for the Murdoch family and Alec in particular. You're not being fair. You're providing potential cover to corrupt sociopaths. And she goes on to say, I cannot imagine being a family member of one of the victims listening to some of the crap you guys say. Well, I mean, you also have to think we've gotten a ton of questions from people about the history and wanting to know more about the family, good and bad. So I think it's definitely worth listening to. And it's it's fascinating when you hear this episode about the legacy of the family. Right. This is the, so this is the person's take, a Hampton person, born and raised, commenting on her aspect of it. We're not challenging her things. We're letting her say her piece and get an inside feeling of what people in that area may feel about the Murdochs. And I think on all the episodes we've done so far, I think that we've tried to be fair and shown some other sides. When we have John Snyder on, what would you have done? You were an attorney of Paul when he was in the hospital. What would you have done? We are definitely not working for the Murdochs. Someone sent me an email and says they think we're on the payroll. We ain't getting paid by anybody. We are not not getting paid, but we're just trying to present everything as fairly as possible. Yes. And uh, we do play commercials, so we do get some money from that. And we're almost even. We're almost. (laughs) We have to pay Dwayne, our great producer. He's great. All right. Listen to the pod, uh, this episode, and uh, take it for what it is. Enjoy. Impact of Influence, the tragic story of a powerful South Carolina family and the mysterious deaths that they are linked to. Thanks for joining us again. I am Matt Harris, co-host Seton Tucker here as well. Check out our Facebook page, Murdoch Podcast. Also, our new website, murdochpodcast.com. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear what you have to say, your inputs and and thoughts you have on the podcast. But let's uh, get right to it. We wanted to do an episode with someone from Hampton so we can get that side of the story. And Seton, someone reached out to you. Her name is Sarah Holstein Graves, and she actually grew up in Hampton and has a hobby in genealogy. She's been doing it for 10 years. And we talked on Sunday, and she just gave me so much information about the Murdoch family that was just really interesting to me. And I thought, you need to come on the podcast and tell us about it. Well, welcome, Sarah. And you have a long history with Hampton. Yes, I I was born and raised in Hampton and uh, moved to Charleston in in the 1990s, where I still live now. But um, I went to high school with John Marvin, the youngest of the Murdochs, and... um, and, and knew the family, you know, pretty well. Everybody in a small town knows everybody pretty well. We just put up a family tree on our Facebook page, and I'm actually going to pull it up right now. Um, so I was just kind of hoping you could go back through the family and kind of give us a rundown. Sure. Um, it, it's a very, very interesting family from a historical perspective, and I'm not going to throw in anything that is... Rumor, gossip, speculation, I am going strictly on things that I have found in in ancestry content, census records, and with this family, lots of newspaper articles because they were a very accomplished family. Um, And just a quick, quick breeze through numerous generations, the original Murdochs came from Ireland in the mid-1600s, and they settled primarily Virginia, North Carolina, 
became Quakers, which I found interesting. Oh, wow. And then we have the progenitor of the the Murdoch family in South Carolina, which was Josiah Putnam Murdoch, who came here in um, the late 1700s. And the family has always been planters. They've always been farmers. And, and my family was as well. And because of that, you've got very large families with lots of children. So between marriages and more children, the family trees are bound to overlap in certain areas. So they've always been part of my family tree, but I've just researched it further. And what I have found was that Josiah made a bit of a break from the family and he went into the phosphate industry, which I don't know exactly what that is, but apparently it's, it's, pretty uh it was pretty robust at the time and he made a good living for himself and if you know anything about charleston the fact that his wife's family has a plot at magnolia cemetery is pretty telling they were a prominent family and so that's where josiah putnam uh murdoch and his wife annie marvin davis uh are buried randolph senior was one of about six children. There were lots of newspaper articles about him when he went to USC. He went there originally as a, uh, a track star. I, don't, I have to interrupt you just for one second because we have a lot of people listening from across the country. USC in this part of the world is uh, University of South Carolina. Not University of Southern California. Yes. So I just want to point that out. Uh, and at the time it was like only one of a small handful of, of options for college that we had here. There's one cool little tidbit that I do want to share about yeah. his time at, uh, at USC, which I think some of our football fans are going to love. Great. While he was at USC as track star, which would have been around 1906, he uh, got together with another group of guys and they petitioned the, uh, the board of trustees to get back into football because we did not have a football team in South Carolina at the time. This was truly a, a grassroots effort by the students. I did find two articles about it. One was when they were actually able to you know, get the, the football reinstated and then uh, or the football program, excuse me. And then the other was a like a 30 year uh, memorial type of thing to the squad. And it was so interesting because of the guys that did this, you've got obviously senior as a solicitor you've got guys who are irs agents you've got guys who are you know, guys who have gone on to be very successful so in going back through the article what they did was they had a state fair that was on campus and that's where that's when and where they did this petition and so after they just had a grassroots type parade and they went around and had a huge party and it was it was a really really cool thing to to read so he went on to law school he actually tested for a scholarship and an opening that they had at annapolis so he went to annapolis as a midshipman and did that on scholarship so after the midshipman stint he returns to Hampton as an attorney, and he gets married. Uh, the lady that he married was named Etta Causey Harvey. She had a brother named Brantley Harvey who went on to become a senator, and he was a career senator, so he, he did that for a very long time. Brantley's son also went on to become a senator and eventually went on to become a lieutenant governor. Oh, wow. So they had these political connections yeah. from a very early 
time, from the beginning. So Randolph Sr. married into that very prominent family, a politically connected family. And Randolph Sr. and Etta have two kids, Randolph II and Johnny. And then what happens? About two weeks after Johnny's birth, she developed uh, some type of a sepsis and and passed on. Oh, so sad. Um, it, it was it was terrible. So yeah. so the second wife was named Estelle Marvin. So now we have the Marvin name coming up again. And they did not have any children. Um, and then she passed on after a very long illness, and she was less than forty years old. Um, the third wife was a very short marriage because they got married like maybe two years before he passed on. And then uh, after he passed on, she moved back to Florida where she had been living before. But interestingly, her father was also a senator. Oh, oh wow. Geez. Oh, wow. But we should mention yeah. how um, how senior passed, just for those who don't remember for a previous episode about that. Absolutely. Uh, so Senior was in his 50s when he passed. Uh, the the newspaper article's uh, account of it was that he had been visiting a friend. I saw another article that said he'd been out playing cards. But in any event, it was around 1 in the morning, and he was going over a what they call a railroad grade, which just means it was the railroad track crossing the road that was, even with the road, there were no signs, no Signals, no, nothing like that. But his car was hit by an oncoming train. And I have seen the death certificate and that it was a it was a pretty gruesome thing and it was fortunately instantaneous. Yeah. Um his son did go on to sue the railroad on behalf of the third wife and the two sons. And they they were successful in that. And from what I can understand, it wasn't really a huge award. But what they did stipulate was that all of the railroad crossings in that area had to have signals, signs, barriers, that type of thing. Now, being from Hampton, have you actually seen like this area where the this accident Absolutely. occurred? Absolutely. Absolutely. They've owned that property out there for a number of years. And, you know, when I was in high school, we had parties out there every Friday night. So I know it very well, and I've crossed over it a gazillion times. And this was their first one, first of many railroad lawsuits that would the first of many absolutely but what what was what did strike me about this was you you had a gentleman for whom you could have lodged a large monetary uh demand and their demand seemed to be focused much more on let's try to make sure this doesn't happen again Mm -hmm. which kind of goes against the grain of the sentiment that that we see so much on social media, yeah. uh, which makes me, you know, wonder how many folks that are making those kinds of comments aren't familiar with the family at all. Yeah, very true. Now, seniors, one of senior sons is Randolph II, but they call him Buster. And you read a newspaper interview that they had with Buster who talked about his dad, senior. Tell me a little about that. He said that his dad lost everything in 
the stock market crash and the Great Depression. So when it came time for him to go to school, there was no money. And so he had been a football player and he was able to win a scholarship. And that's how he paid for his education. And that is where he earned the nickname Buster. His brother, John, Johnny, uh, was a war hero. He was in World War II, and uh, he was a paratrooper. He got a silver star with two clusters, two bronze stars, and two purple hearts. And then he came back home and uh, was a farmer until he retired and pretty much just had a quiet life from there on. Well, that is so crazy because people have this perception of this family as that they were always halves. Absolutely. Well, you know, everybody lost money at that time. And when you're looking at a a poor community of farmers, hiring a lawyer is not always a necessity. So there was an income coming in from being an attorney. Now, I want to just backtrack for a second because you mentioned that he got his nickname Buster. This is... Randolph Jr. got his nickname Buster from going to USC. So that's multi-generational University of South Carolina football. Yes. So so we have, you know, your first generation is Randolph Sr. who did play football at USC, uh, but actually went there as a, as a track athlete and was viewed as one of the most all-around utilitarian and best athletes that they had at the school. Then you had Buster, uh, who went in as an offensive linesman on a scholarship. And uh, then Randolph III played as a walk-on, no scholarship. And then Ellick also played as a walk-on. Ellick was our high school quarterback here, and he did very well. Did he? Did he get any playtime at USC? I mean, I'm a Gamecock fan, but I don't. I'm not. I'm terrible with names, so I don't remember. But did he get any playtime when he was there? I don't think that he did because, as and this is all my memory and speculation now. But what I recall was that uh, he he was a walk on. He got put on the team. He was redshirted, which is all pretty common stuff. Yeah. But he had had so much damage to his shoulder that he was not able to continue on at the college level. All right, who's up next in this Murdoch tree? So when we when we get to Buster, um, Buster married into the Marvin family. So his wife, Gladys, was the daughter of um, Horace Marvin, who managed Mackey Plantation. And strangely enough, Horace had two brothers who also managed local plantations. And that was... That was the southern life, you know, it was, that was the ultimate to have this huge house and this huge property and you could hunt and fish and you could do all of these things. And so, um, that's, that's who he married into and, uh, they actually had their wedding at Mackey Point. What's very unusual at this time for the women in this family, because, you know, they got married in the 1930s. The women in this family are all college educated. And so I did find that very, very interesting that in a small farming community, you've got these women uh, who have really uh, excelled and, and gone to college and had careers. It's an interesting group of people from that area. And Randolph Jr., who became nicknamed Buster after he went to USC, what are some things that pop into mind when you think about the buster that was Randolph Jr. 
you've got a man who is so magnanimous that Pat Conroy wrote about him. I saw that. That blew my mind. I was like, wow. Pat Conroy is Prince of Tides as one of his real big ones. A lot of people know the movie or Lords of Discipline. Uh, Yes, and all of his characters are very Southern in their roots. And and, uh, and when you read his his books or you watch a screen adaptation of, of one of his books, you always recognize his characters. Yeah, and I know somebody like that. Totally. And like, because I read his first one, which was kind of uh, semi-autobiographical. What was it? The River Runs Wide. And the whole time, when I first started digging into this family, I kept thinking about that book because when he loses his teaching job and he goes, you know, and fights the system, I kept thinking, oh my gosh, this has the Murdoch name written all over it. Yeah. And and that was the reference that he was making to, to Buster was uh, I wanted I would have wanted him to be my lawyer because you know Conroy did actually sue to get his teaching job back it was the same same type of deal and he lived in Buford which is all part of the low country for those not familiar with the area it's just you know a short uh, distance from Hampton and if you're gonna have a date on Friday night you go to Buford for your date right? <laughs> yeah Buford was the the bigger smaller town yes so we're at Buster. Um, and Buster is, he becomes solicitor, correct? Buster becomes solicitor. And, and this is all in my mind now, based on what I've read and what I'm thinking, I'm thinking you've got a guy who physically is a lot bigger than his dad was. He is following in the shoes of a man who died in his prime and who was a very big name and who excelled at everything that he did. He was going to join a team. He was going to be the team captain if he was going to, you know, he was in the oratory society in college. Um, From a family standpoint, he grew up without a mother. So Buster grew up with a brother. Brother was a war hero, but brother was quite comfortable to take the back seat when he got back home. Um, He had two children. He had a wife who was a very educated woman and who came from a very prominent family. And so I think that the the very outgoing, boisterous personality could come from that type of a background and a, a, a want and a need to measure up and to do well. And he was definitely your uh, stereotypical Southern lawyer that had the big stories and, and he kept your attention when you were in court, whether you were a juror or an opposing counsel, you were fixated on everything that he did. And one of the stories that, that keeps popping back up was he was in court and he was describing someone who, who had been killed and he said, you know, basically, they're, picture that they're in their grave right here. And, and he drew a box on the floor with his finger to help them to visualize that, that the decedent was there. When the case was over, which, of course, he won, when the jurors exited the jury box, they stepped around the box that was supposed to be the grave. And we go into some of his—we have a— Turn he's going to be on a coming upcoming episode. He's going to go into some of the tactics that Buster used and whether yes. or not they were um, accepted 
by the legal community, but he was a bigger-than-life force, they say. Buster is solicitor for a long time. Yes, and uh, his son Randolph, who is, um, we'll just say the third from from now on talking about (laughs) him, uh, he also married well. He he married... um, Libby Alexander, and and she was also college educated. She was a school teacher, and um, her family was the Alexander family. They were local as well, and uh, he worked with his father in the solicitor's office. He also uh, worked in the private practice, and they had four children. Their uh, their oldest daughter, um, she married into a family that I just absolutely love her mother-in-law was not only my third grade teacher but she was my father's third grade teacher oh wow and yes she put in a lot of years absolutely and she just passed on this past year and she was the sweetest woman in the world and and her you know lynn's husband is is a a wonderful person and uh, they moved to somerville they have three children that are grown now and uh and doing you know quite well and one of the things I thought was adorable was uh, when when they gave the third his first grandchild. They were having the discussion of you know what would you like to be called, grandpa, papa, granddaddy, what have you. And he said, you know, nobody ever calls me handsome. I like to be called. Uh, nice. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so the grandchildren called him handsome for really? his for the rest of his days. He oh, was that's. Wow. I think I might suggest that one to my husband. <laughs> So that Lynn was their oldest child, and, and then they had Randolph the fourth, and that's Randy. And um, Randy also, you know, married a, a local girl from a, a local family who, who I know very well, and they are wonderful people. They have two daughters. Their daughters seem to be, you know, happy, healthy, successful, doing well. Um, Alec was maybe two years ahead of me in high school, and so I knew him well, but. He, we didn't hang out together socially very much. Um, I did not know Maggie. Uh, he met Maggie at college, and uh, by that time I'd moved to Charleston, and so I had not met her. And and then obviously they had two sons, and then John Marvin was a bit of a late bloomer. He didn't get married until much later, and, and he started having children later than the rest of them. But he, he's got three, and, and he's actually got Randolph the fifth in, in his brood. Um but uh, Randy was a, a sure fit to, to go into the family business. He was always very smart, very uh, responsible, uh, very driven. It, there was no question well, that this was what he was going to do. That's kind of what I want to say, though, too, is like we, when people hear this name Murdoch now, it has such a negative connotation that we have to remember that not everybody in the family was a bad person. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and these are these are real people that we're talking about. And when I check in with my friends from Hampton, they are they are so exhausted with everything that's going on. And it's kind of like when you see a tornado and the news reporters will find the guy that lives in a 200 year old mobile home is married to a sister and has no teeth. And that's the guy <laughs> that's interview. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We we have heard from so many people that have such wild theories and and those of us that that know the players let's be honest I'm not I don't think anybody's perfect and I think that when you have great power you have great responsibility obviously but for the most part 
the people that we've just discussed weren't handed great power and great responsibility. They worked really hard for it. And unfortunately, Hampton went from uh, a farming community, and then in the 60s, Westinghouse came in and, and built a factory there, and that really helped the, the local economy a lot, but unfortunately, they closed that plant in, in the last decade, and Hampton has hit upon some really, really hard times, and so when you have people that are suffering financially and you have other people that are doing well financially, sometimes there's a rub there. Yeah. And sometimes there's uh, there's a feeling of unfairness there. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as Randy and, and Lynn are concerned, those are, those are two family members that have really, as, as long as I have known them, thinking all the way back to youth, have always been very responsible. I've never heard about them doing crazy things or getting in trouble. They've gone to college. They've worked hard. And, and that's just who they've always been. And they've contributed. You see anything negative to say about either of them. Well, you see how much that they've contributed to the, you know, with their charity work. They've, it seems like they were charitable and did a lot of that type of thing for the community as a whole as well. Yeah, and, and you know, in in Hampton County, softball is a religion, and so you know, I started playing when I was six, and and we played booster club, we played church softball, and local businesses would sponsor teams and you know supply uniforms and help maintain the fields, and the Murdochs were always active in doing that. Um, the Murdochs were big on having community um, like cookouts and such. I mean, we in Hampton County had a tornado a couple of years ago that was devastating. And one of the things that the Murdoch firm did at that point was they brought in a, like a mobile washing and washing machine and, and dryer situation. And the people that were affected by the tornado could come in and do their laundry and take showers and just get clean. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were, they've always been there. It's interesting side of the story you don't hear, and it certainly doesn't mean that there's not the other side as well, but it's good to have both presented. Yes. Listen, my, my father was one of five children. His father was a highway patrolman in Hampton County since the 1930s. He was the only law enforcement they had aside from the sheriff. Wow. Of those five kids. You got kids who kept their heads down, wanted yeah. to really represent their dad well, don't do anything to embarrass dad. You got kids who were productive and wanted to make dad proud. And then you had the one kid that was <laughs> crazy and did Oh, please don't tell me that. Please don't tell me that. One ear, Seton. It happens. It yes. happens. It does. But it, it can't does. negate the accomplishments of everybody that came before them. Oh, wait, maybe we should do a quick little, with a, with a Hampton person, let's do a quick little, like, rundown of how, how we pronounce all the names. It's M-U-R-D-A-U-G-H. So many people in national media or people have corrected us many times because we say Murdoch. Many are saying, no, it's Murdaugh. From Hampton, what do they say? Okay, if, I'm, if I am in a formal setting and I would like to sound my best, I would say this is Mr. Murdoch. If I am talking with my buddies as I regular do, regularly do, it's Murdoch. Murdoch. Ah, Murdoch. Murdoch. <laughs> All right. What about, um, what about Alex, the pronunciation? A-L-E-X. 
So he, he was his name was given to him because that's his mother's maiden name. You see, a lot of the first names in this family are maiden names from prior generations, including Randolph. Um, so it's Alexander. It's supposed to be Alec in a formal setting. We have always pronounced it. So I would pronounce his name Alec Murdoch. Alec Murdoch. Yes, I, I, st- I started converting to Alec. I don't know why. You did. I, that, that about I, I you. No, I don't know why. I've, I, because your your reporting has been talking with people, and it's been more interactive, and you've probably been hearing it said that way. So hmm. your your brain is self correcting. One thing, I guess, one thing before you leave, the people of Hampton, and it's a Hampton County, and there's also the Hampton, the town of Hampton. The people in that area, is there a general thing that you think people are missing about them, either the way they're being portrayed nationally or they feel is unfair or they are worried about? Absolutely. Um, People are concerned that um, the speculation has has been – turning into fact, which does happen, you know, when we gossip, we, we say, I heard this, I think that, and you say it enough times and people think that it's true. If the national scale of folks think that this family is this corrupt and have done so many outlandish things that everybody obviously knows about, then they begin to question the, the common sense of the people that live in that area who have kept them in power. And, uh, and then they begin to portray us as not that bright. I've seen the word hillbilly. I've seen the word redneck. And uh, it, that's been the overwhelming thing is they're just being portrayed as a town full of simpletons that don't know any better. I can tell you that I personally have never feared the Murdochs. They have never, I've never seen one of them fight with someone. They are politicians at the core of things. You know, they need to have a good image to do well in court and to convince people of their position, which is what an attorney does. The only fear that I would have would be burning a bridge with them because if you need somebody to help you with something, they can always find a way to help you. So I would fear burning that bridge, but I wouldn't fear a repercussion from them. They're not, it's not like a mafia family like you're seeing here. Are they, are they, so they're not really mad at Alec or are they? From, from what I can tell, the general uh, feeling is that if he is accused of even a part, or excuse me, if he's guilty of even a part of what he's been accused of, then he's really squandered what could have been a great opportunity and a great life. And so there are people that don't have the means and don't have the connections that are really angry that he blew his chance if any of this is true. Yeah. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. I've learned so much information that has just been really interesting to me. I enjoy being here. Thank you so much. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Okay, Seton, uh, you have a feeling we're going to get some heat from this interview. Thank you, Sarah, first of all. But you think there's going to be some heat in our direction. Right. Just because this week has been such a crazy week in 
the media world in South Carolina. There's just been a lot of bullets flying in all directions. And it seems like if you report anything other than just one side, you kind of set yourself up to be a target. So I do have a lot of anxiety about that because I don't like to be a target. Um, and I keep thinking in my head, going back to the whole, were you guys hired by the Murdoch family? I'm like, who would hire somebody with no podcast experience? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> with, you know, I, I, I just find that kind of crazy that that even went around. I agree. It's bizarre to me that there's a certain podcast that is thinking they own this and they're attacking us. No, and nobody owns the story except for the victims of right. this story. That's and right. I also want to say um, there is an event coming up on August or October 30th uh, for benefiting Sandy Smith, who is Stephen Smith's mom. And they have a Facebook page called Standing for C Stephen. And you can get links to the event. If you can go, they're going to be having a auction. And also they have a GoFundMe page. Uh, they've been trying to raise money so that they can finally get a headstone for Stephen. We'll put that in the show notes. But again, what's the page to go to? Or the it's place called to go? Standing for C Stephen. And you can also have a link to it on our Facebook page, Murdoch Podcast. Murdoch Podcast on Facebook, MurdochPodcast.com. And reach out to us. We uh, love to hear from you and we appreciate what you're doing. And if you can rate it, if you liked it, that'd be great. Give us the old five-star thingy. Share it. And again, we thank uh, the Island Packet for the, some of the things we uh, talked about today. They're doing a great job. And we will talk to you soon. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted? taken from you, would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? <sighs> Download American Vigilante now. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh -huh. You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.